how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. This episode is brought to you by IronJohnGear.com. In between your creative pursuits, make sure to check out Iron John Gear for top apparel, footwear, fitness items, outdoor supplies, sports gear, and much more. Visit the website for top deals on things like lanterns, backpacks, tents, snow clothing, bomber hats, sunglasses, fishing gear, and more. Visit ironjohngear.com today and save money on your next adventure. In addition to Iron John Gear, make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Pamela Romanowski is a writer-director who fell in love with film and even left medical school to pursue it. In this interview, Pamela tells us about her start in documentary filmmaking, how she made friends with actor James Franco, the importance of satellite relationships in film, and the intense psychology behind her ad adaptation for The Adderall Diaries. I'm from Minnesota originally, sort of went to college, um, and I was actually pre-med, my undergrad degrees in psychology and minors in bio and neuroscience. Um, so, you know, I had to have this very um, sort of sciencey background. Um, and it was interesting to work on this screenplay because so much of it directly involved psychology. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, all of that study of memory and human behavior and addiction um, sort of came into play much later in working on this story, which was cool. Um, so after I finished college, I came to New York, um, to study filmmaking thing. It would just be sort of a hobby and that I wanted to live in New York for, you know, a summer for once in my life. And then I'd go back to my life in Minnesota and right. go to medical school. Um, and I didn't, I fell in love with New York and I fell in love with directing. And so I stayed in New York, um, worked for a documentary filmmaker named Barbara Koppel for, a few years, and um, she wrote, she directed Harlan County, USA, and American Dream. She's a really great, very doc filmmaker. Mm -hmm. So I learned a ton from her. Um, and, you know, even though I didn't stay in documentary film, um, I value that time so much watching her. It, you know, a lot of documentary directing is about um, sort of gauging engaging the subtext, reading the subtext, um, understanding how far to push people and the way that 
people conceal and reveal information. Um, so I find that useful still. And then um, I decided that I wanted to learn narrative filmmaking in a more formal way. I'd been making shorts and music videos. Um, and so I wanted to get some real training and um, went to NYU to get my MFA, um, which took four years. And I learned so much there. Um, it's an incredible program. And in addition to learning, you know, the craft of screenwriting and directing, it's a conservatory program. So you learn cinematography, sound, producing, acting, um, and film aesthetics. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, you know, it was a really quick, intense education. Or not that quick. <laughs> it was an intense education. And um, I learned most of what I know about filmmaking there. And then um, NYU is also where I met some really important collaborators, uh, the first being James Franco, who, you know, is kind of a kindred spirit. And uh, we share similar creative taste. And so we became good friends and started working together. Um, and that's where the Adderall Diaries came from. He he had optioned the book, I think, after he read it in a class at Yale. He was doing a couple other master's programs and had it for a few years, um, thinking he would write it and direct it himself and kind of never figured out how how to make it, um, how to adapt the book into a film. It's not a super obvious uh, cinematic adaptation. So we had made uh, a short film together that I wrote and directed and he acted in. And it's about similar themes, memory, and how our history impacts us in the present. Um, So after we made that, he asked me about the Adderall Diaries. And I had read it, you know, just as a casual reader. I read quite a bit and um, loved the book. And so, you know, I jumped at the chance to adapt it. And it took me three, about three years from first, the first draft of the first outline to the completed film premiering at Tribeca. What was the first short you guys worked on together? The name of it? Uh, it was called, my short's called Tar. It's part of a movie that is now called The Color of Time. Okay. It that looks like is, that was kind of a collaboration of several directors. It right? is, yes. There are 10 directors who each made, who each adapted a poem from the same collection. Okay. So the film, the film is sort of an experimental omnibus film. Um, it ends up kind of being about C.K. Williams, the poet, but it was it was an exercise in group filmmaking and trying to take ten directors who each, you know, made a distinct story, but they would blend together seamlessly. Right. So it wouldn't it wasn't um, the intent was not to make vignettes like New York, I Love You, Paris, Je mm-hmm. It was to make something cohesive with ten directors. Okay, very cool. I didn't mean to go backwards on you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the Adderall Diaries. Um, you mentioned psychology sure. earlier, and then uh, Franco acquired the, the rights to the film. This film or this story um, touches on a little bit of everything. Um, how did you go about yeah. an adaptation? I mean, everything from the, the sexual parts of it to the addictions to the memories and everything else. Yeah, it took me a long time, and there were many, many drafts along the way. Um, one of the biggest points of focus and um, 
pieces of help along the way came from the Sundance Labs. I did the screenwriters lab, the director's lab, um, and then also the sound design and composing lab and the producer's lab. Um, so the summer of 2013, I did all of those labs. Um, and they were hugely helpful in distilling the screenplay. I'd already been working on it for a year at that point. And, you know, it's kind of the, the book is the sort of kitchen sink full of ideas, themes, glimpses of memory. It's very, um, it's very internal and introspective, and there really is not a present tense story. Mm-hmm. Um, and the characters don't really get arcs in the in the way that they traditionally do in movies. So um, most of my process was about, you know, figuring out what the heart of the story was to me, and then and dramatizing those themes and ideas through relationships. So I wanted to use, you know, the relationships in the book that seemed the most important to me and the most um, sort of ripe with dramatic possibility. And then to see the themes and ideas he's struggling with sort of play out in each of those relationships. So the sort of the structure is that Stephen Elliott is the sort of son of the universe, son of his own universe. And around him, there are these five sort of satellite relationships orbiting. He has his father, his uh, girlfriend, his best friend, his muse, and um, his editor. And so it sort of takes um, changes in momentum and damage in each of those relationships before he's really willing to take a look at himself or change. Um, so the kind of the main, the thing that I had, you know, pinned to my writing board there's a quote from the book that was sort of when I would get lost in the screenplay, that would be my sort of guiding purpose. And it's the quote, we understand the world by how we retrieve memories, read or order information into stories to justify how we feel. So that to me is the heart of Stephen Elliott's character. Um, It's both his drive and his obstacle. He's obsessed with making sense of his past and making it into a story. Um, and I just love that because it's a con it, it's a concept that I'm really interested in as a storyteller, as someone with a background in psychology. And so this story was a way of seeing that idea represented in a dramatic and cinematic way. And I felt like I hadn't really seen that in a film before. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course the main the main conflict um where you see this idea play out is between Stephen and his father, who have the same shared history, but very different interpretations of it. And what I found so interesting, it's in the book, but it's also in a lot of Stephen's other writing, a lot of Neil's other writing. I did get to talk to Stephen quite a bit. And what I noticed that maybe can't be obvious (laughs) to Stephen himself is that it it wasn't the small, it wasn't the details of the story or the facts that they were disagreeing about. It was their, it was the role that they were each trying to cast themselves in, in the same story. They each Mm -hmm. really needed to be the victim. Right. Um, And that's why they couldn't align these stories. Um, So that was, that was also really interesting conflict to me that you'd have two characters who are trying to cast themselves very differently. And that's the source of the conflict. 
Right. It's kind of an um, overly dramatic version, but I think we all do something like that, you know, where we see other people. Um, when there's so many um, memories involved and things like that, is this, I mean, is the book considered completely nonfiction or parts of it fiction, or how is it considered that way? The book is labeled and considered by Stephen to be totally memoir. It is nonfiction. Okay. And so going in, uh, when I first began working on the screenplay, um, it was it was much more important to me to get things right and to be accurate. And as I started working on it more and more, I realized that, you know, in order for this to be a compelling and coherent and cohesive movie, that I was I was going to need to fictionalize and dramatize things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it became, for me, more about trying to convey the heart of the story and less about trying to get things, um, per, get details precise mm-hmm. and historically accurate. So the film is very much nonfiction. The book on which it's based, or the film is very much fiction. The book on which it's based is nonfiction. But, um, you know, Stephen writes, pretty prolifically and almost exclusively about himself. So the same story gets told in a lot of different ways in his writing, which is really interesting. Sometimes it's fictionalized and dramatized. Sometimes it's memoir. Um, And so it's really interesting to see how those elements have shifted when he's writing fiction. Mm -hmm. She's kind of worked on, um, I realize it was just a short, but this is kind of two different stories about um, writers and, the writing process and that kind of thing. Is that uh, something you're interested in? Do you consider yourself more of a writer than a director? Um, No, I love both. And I I just directed something that I had not written for the first time, and it was really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not so interested in writing outside of screenwriting. I think I write in order to have the map from which to make the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they really go together in my mind. Um, but was the question, am I interested in writing about writers? Yeah, because it seems like, well, just from watching the preview, uh, Color of Time and then this new film, Matter All Diaries, both kind of have that. You know, yeah. They're about a writer and the underlying theme. Yeah, um, that's true. I don't know that I'm... That that's necessarily one of my primary interests. I think that the driving force behind both of those projects was this interest in memory mm-hmm. and how the past invades and uh, changes our perception of the present. Um, but I am really interested in creative people in general. I love movies about writers, artists, painters, photographers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, that's not something that I exclusively want to make movies about, but um, I am fascinated by the creative process because I think it, um, it so often is a way of, I don't know, sort of understanding and processing what's happening to us as people. Mm -hmm. And so I certainly relate to that. Have any of your um, viewpoints towards psychology and memory in general changed since you know, from, from who you were before you made this film to who you are now, has anything changed while writing it? Yeah, I think um, a big part of the draw in making this film was the opportunity to talk about um, 
have it about the differences in narrative um about the different about the different narratives we have with people who share a common history so i you know i've found in my own life <laughs> the the people who I don't know. There are people who I have a story with and the way that I tell the story is really different from the way that they tell the story. Mm-hmm. And so this is an opportunity to sort of look at that, you know, shine a light into that dark corner of my own psychology and think about why, why we might tell the story so differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's a lot of compassion to be found there. It sort of allowed me to make peace with, some people who I had, you know, this sort of lingering resentment towards and right. um, to sort of see things from their point of view, understand why, why they needed to be the person they were, do the things they did, um, and to be compassionate towards that and to understand that, you know, I also have an agenda in the way that I'm remembering things. Um, I was also really inspired by... There's a, there's a form of therapy that I started researching as I was writing called narrative therapy, which um, wherein a psychologist sits down with you and says, tell me about you, what's your story? And so you mm-hmm. tell them your life story, things that have happened to you, things you remember, you know, accomplishments, dreams crushed, you know, what, what your mom is like, all of that stuff. And so they're sort of helping you look at how you tell the story of you. And they might say, you know, I noticed that you tell a lot of stories where someone in a position of authority betrayed you. Um, Are there people, people you trust who, are there people um, in positions of authority who have not betrayed your trust, who have been good to you, who you still trust? Um, Can you tell me that kind of story? So it's, it's sort of about recognizing that there's some inherent editing in the way that we're telling our life story and that you actually have quite a bit of agency in what you pick and what you um, perceive as being really fundamental. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the idea is the way that you tell your story affects how you behave, how you see yourself in the world, where you think you fit in. And so if you're only telling stories, for example, where you're always a victim, there's a tendency to, place yourself in a position with no power and to only have that kind of interaction because that's sort of what you're looking for and what you expect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's really fascinating and sort of motivating that if we recognize that we were, you know, remember and tell our story with some editing, that there's some agency to be found there. And that if, you know, the story that you're telling isn't serving you, there is opportunity to start changing things. That's really interesting, like, you know, in retrospect of yourself, but also in writing characters. Um, have you worked on any, or do you plan to work on any future work where everything's purely fiction, any characters you're writing yourself? Um, yes, of course. I think, you know, writing about real people was fascinating, and I loved it, and it was also a huge responsibility. I think you know, there's an inherent desire as a writer to be understood and to be liked and for people to connect with what you're saying. And so the, you know, the the responsibility and the pressure of having real people 
be the characters in your script um, is really difficult. Mm-hmm. And so I certainly wouldn't um, wouldn't pursue that again without um, some careful thought. And I think in the next, you know, the next few scripts I write, the characters will probably be completely fictional. Okay. Um, you know, in addition to Stephen, who you know is a filmmaker himself and has his own feelings on my adaptation of his work, there's also you know every character in the movie. Uh, with the exception of one who is fictional, uh, you know, they're almost all based on real people. And so there's a strange thing, you know, when we'd be on set reenacting <laughs> like a terrible traumatic event. Right. And it's hard It's hard not to be sort of weighed down by the understanding that this really happened to someone. What's the most difficult step in the writing process for you? And then finally, just anything, any advice you'd like to have for uh, future writers? I think the most difficult thing is knowing when something is finished. Um, There's a desire to get it perfect and get it right before you start shooting. And my big takeaway on this film was that that was not possible and that there were so many surprises and gifts and magic moments that would come on set. And also that a a lot of that I would have to figure out in the editing room would sort of be my second major revision. Um, so my advice to writers is to focus on what feeds you, both in the, you know, the theme and the images and the scenes in what you're working on. I think it's really important to stay excited and to stay passionate about it and to give yourself reminders, um, you know, why you love this material and why you need to tell the story. And my second piece of advice is to be patient and to find people who will help you and be your support network and to find another group of writers. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.